0: Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm looking at Dr. Jennifer Apps, a frequent flyer on the Faculty Factory Podcast. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Kim. Thank you so much for having me back. Yes. Well, everyone, Dr. Jennifer Apps, you're going to want to check out her episode number 208 after you hear today's conversation, because you're going to want to learn, again, from Dr. Apps, episode 208. It, It was called How Faculty Can Succeed While Avoiding over commitment. It was a really great conversation we had. I can't remember what it was, but check it out. It had a lot of views and downloads. Really good episode. So Dr. Jennifer Apps is with, drum roll now, but she within a month now is a professor and vice chair of faculty development in psychiatry and behavioral medicine. And she's the Associate Provost of Faculty Affairs at the Medical College of Wisconsin. Her area of expertise, she's a Pediatric Neuropsychologist at Children's Wisconsin. Is all that right now, Jennifer? That is all perfect. Thank you. Well, congratulations on your promotion, that it's imminent any moment now. It's such an accomplishment. Especially as a woman, so we we really applaud and, and uh, celebrate our women professors here at Hopkins. So congratulations, kudos, well earned. So, you much. Jennifer, um, you're going to talk about something super interesting today that I know very very little about. So why don't you just kind of lead us on this uh, little wisdom here? Go ahead.
1: Um, I would love to. Thank you for allowing me the space to talk about this. This is something that had started to come into my awareness uh, really probably over the last year or two as i really tackled uh, thinking about this next step in my career and where i was at and dovetailing that with watching my family grow and watching things evolve across all aspects of my life and that is something called mental load and what had happened I'll be completely honest. What brought this to f- to the forefront for me right away was um, a while ago, as with many things in life, I heard my daughter say something. And so often it's the things that we see reflected in our kids that really make us realize what's going on with us. And, and so I have a son and a daughter. Daughter is slightly younger. And she's wandering through the house one day following along something her brother has done muttering to herself and says the words basically why am i the only one blah 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 whatever it was and i don't remember the exact the exact scenario but i remember it struck me in that moment because i thought oh that's me i think i walk around the house muttering to myself why am i the only one that picks up this trash or why am i the only one that knows that we need more of this or and and it made me stop and reflect that I'm teaching her something by modeling that? And do I really want to be teaching her that? And, and if I'm teaching her that, what is it that I'm teaching her? And I'm sure it's not just me. This is this is one of those moments when I realize this is a societal, often gender-based issue that's being reflected in my own household. And I need to learn more about this. So I started looking into it. And yes, absolutely. The term for it is mental load. Um, And when I started digging in and finding, how do I define this? How do I think about this? It's the cognitive effort around organizing and managing. And, And to me, that said so much because in my household, very openly, I am kind of the manager of a lot of things that we do. But it's more than that. It's this need, desire, this want that I want my family, my people around me. And and I started recognizing this happens at work too, to recognize when I need them to step in and help rather than me constantly having to tell them. And And this cognitive effort that goes into this is constant. It's never ending. And it just is exhausting. And so as I started looking into this, I'm like, okay, well, Immediately I go to my my girlfriends, right? Like, have you guys heard of this? And so we start our, our conversations. And and I hadn't yet transitioned it into that work world. And I was really thinking of it more in the house and, and at home. And then so MCW does this really amazing, wonderful thing with, with our advancement out of science and women in medicine group, our awesome group, where they come up with gender equity pledges. And we're in our third iteration of this. Dr. Libby Ellenis, who I know you've had um, on your podcast, who's amazing, has launched the third, we call this an MCW, I Will campaign. And she asks faculty to pledge to something that is related to gender equity. And in this case, the theme of the pledges was going to be broadening gender norms and mitigating stereotypes. And I had a mentee come to me and say, hey, I don't think this has been released yet, but one of these which is the one that I then picked, this has been released and this came out this month, is I will explore how my expectations of gender roles affect the division of labor in my workplace and the household, including mental load. I was like, there it is, <laughs> right? And so this Mency had come to me and asked if I could help her work through, she needed to do a, a piece, the a writing piece that she was going to uh, do for a newsletter and then a, a presentation on this. And I was like, yes, I will absolutely, let's do this because this is totally my wheelhouse right now. Um, and so it's opened up the doors for me to think about this now uh, as I've made this pledge across all aspects of my life and how how this interfaces in every
0: aspect. So mental load, the cognitive effort around organizing and managing. So can tell us how that shows up. Like what is my mental load like what is our mental load how do we figure out what that means they're all organizing and managing our lives every day otherwise we wouldn't get out of bed exactly so what what is the what is the load like when does it become overloaded where where does that load get? it's a great question
1: so before this the only way the way that i had talked about mental load is really in my clinical practice so when i talk about for example executive skills, executive functions. If I'm talking about a kiddo that, that is struggling and or that I've evaluated and, and, and I'm talking about results, I will often talk to families about adding cognitive load, right? So when we wanna challenge executive skills, we add cognitive load. So I, I was thinking about it from that perspective initially, but as I started working with this mentee and, and we really dug into a lot of the literature around this, I think one of my favorite representations that brings it home for me the best and, and probably because I'm just a very visual person, is um the the blogger and, and French feminist Emma Clit. So most people are familiar with this. In 2017, she had published a blog, which is now a book, and it's called You Should Have Asked. And it's this series of illustrations. And you can find it. All you have to do is Google it. It's it's a beautiful reference. Um and she if you if you read about her telling of this, it. Occurred to her one night, she kind of wrote these illustrations. She posted it on her uh, social media account, and the next morning she woke up and her computer had exploded. And she was like, Whoa, clearly I'm onto something. And these illustrations show how, as we go through life, and I love the way she, she illustrates this, women are often seen as the manager or the project leader, right? And so, everyone then, oftentimes, our partners tend to fall along next to us as kind of the individual that you have to then manage. But the problem is organizing and planning out the project itself is already a lot of work. And so then when you're having to do all that planning and organizing and then also manage every single person involved, it's like double duty, right? And so we we fall into this pattern where if we were at work and we had a job where we were a project manager, We would manage the project, but we also wouldn't be the ones doing the project. We would be managing a team who does the project, who knows how to step up and do the parts of the project. But yet in life, we're managing the project and then also having to go through and manage the individual people, right? And so that's one way to start thinking about it that quickly to me made it obvious why it would feel
0: so overwhelming. I'm thinking of the subtle distinction between a leader and a manager. Yeah. So is it almost like we are leading and managing, and I'm the wondering why we're so burned out? Exactly. Exactly.
1: So now you start to see in academic medicine in our lives as as faculty members how this could just become incredibly exhausting if we're in this same pattern with within the workplace, right? And and if we think about kind of real life examples of this, it often becomes. The comfort based things around what we're doing, right? So maybe it's not so much the specifics, okay, we need to get this project to X, Y, and Z. So in order to do that, it's A, B, and C, and I'm going to micromanage and tell you those individual steps. It becomes a lot more about, and again, for me, a lot of the examples I feel like are in my personal life a little easier, but you know, it's recognizing that, okay, Somebody did grab a a thing of toilet paper and put it in the upstairs bathroom, but I know that when they grabbed it, they probably grabbed the last one out of the storage closet, which means now we don't have any, which means I need to remember to put that on the shopping list because nobody else is going to put it on the shopping list, and I'm the one who's probably going to be shopping, and you see how
0: that evolves, right? So why do I have to always be the one who... Make sure we have inventory. Why do I have to be the one who remembers to collect the uh, sign in sheet at the workshop on time management? Why do yeah. I have to be the one to remember to send the email? Why do I have to? That muttering, muttering, muttering. Why do I? Yes. You don't, but the are you are is what you're saying that we don't have to be, but we are choosing somehow to be, or or are we it's because we're so controlling that it has to be done our way versus like maybe somebody did, it was aware of that or was going to do it, but it wasn't done on our timeline or the way we want to do it. Maybe it was in a mental checklist to buy more toilet paper, but it wasn't put on Jennifer Apps, mommy's you know, checklist right. on the refrigerator. Is that, right. so? What where's that nuance?
1: So I think actually you just reflected on the, to me, as I've been digging into this more, what I feel like are the two key kind of outcomes of this, the two key issues here. So yes and yes. I think that we have to be careful not to fall into the trap. And this is where I I pull a lot from like the wellness literature, right? If we think about all the talk, all the research we've done around wellness over the last several years with faculty, we can't just go to people and say, yeah, but you've got to fix it, right? This isn't just on us to fix. So to some extent it is about compromise. To some extent, it is about conversations. And, and I can talk more about kind of how I've chosen to, to approach that. But this is also a societal issue. This is also, this is this is not just our daily life. And this is what, as I, I've really gotten into this and, and why I'm so energized about it now, is because this is not just home. This is not just occurring in the community. This is society. This is financially how we think about things. This is globally how we approach each other and, and how we, some of the assumptions that we make about other people around
0: us. Right. right, You have to tell me more about this. So (laughs) I'm I'm not getting the, how the society or our cultures have become like, you just said financial. I totally like my mind is blown. I don't even understand where you're going with this. Like how do we, what is the cognitive effort around organizing and managing finances have to do with us? Help me So
1: understand. here's an example. So if you're in a partnership and something happens, say there's a financial downturn, oftentimes one partner tends to be more focused on the immediate reality of that. Okay. We need to shift some things out of our retirement. We need to look at what our portfolio is. We need to maybe the, the concrete here's and there's of that, right? Whereas oftentimes the women involved in the partnership will be the ones who find themselves anxious worried thinking about what does this mean then for our child's educational fund what if they what if we don't have that educational fund down the road what does that mean for them personally it becomes this emotional burden around how the likes the preferences the needs the safety of those around us are being influenced as opposed to the black and white, how do we just manage the task? And so it, it's that emotional connection to wanting to make the people around us feel good. And, and that makes some sense when we think about kind of mental load, even just for that toilet paper, right? It's, it's how many of us have had Somebody say, okay, maybe my partner will go to the store. They'll buy the toilet paper. They come home. This happened to us, not with toilet paper. This happened to us with tortilla chips, of all things. Oh, no. no. We have this one kind of tortilla chips that everybody in the house loves. We buy them all the time. And my husband goes to the store, gratefully for me, with a list, and comes home with the wrong tortilla chips. And
0: really, did that matter? But the yet world have- ended, though. That is, a, <laughs> that is cataclysmic. That is to catastrophizing. See, I would go to that. This is a catastrophe. Is this catastrophizing? Is that the emotional? Is that what you're getting at? That would, the, the mental load is that we, instead of saying, pause, this is something that's maybe the economic downturn or interest rates are out of my control right now. We're going to manage it, but let's not catastrophize it into my daughter's being able to retire or not? Like right. is, is that what the problem is? Is that and then at work similarly, the fact that I asked the program coordinator or my mock or my, you know, the scrub nurse to do this and she didn't do it at that moment, does that mean then that my career is over? Is that what you're saying? I think that we do start to get into some of those cognitive
1: distortions. Yeah. Yet. Um and and that's where the the work does come back to some extent on us. Right. It it does come back to recognizing what is real and what is the invisible side of this and that invisible side of this that that cognitive distortion side of it does ultimately fall to us as individuals um, yeah. and that was where i had been journeying over i would say really the last year and i think i didn't realize that a lot of what i was doing was around mental load until i started really digging into a lot of this but it was when something like that would happen it was forcing myself to practice kind of the stop and analyze myself instead of just reacting to the situation. And I'm also, I'm a big believer in gratitude. And Mm -hmm. and I believe that gratitude is a cognitive methodology that unlocks new ways of being able to look at situations. So I started instead forcing myself not to immediately say, what are you doing? You've eaten these chips eight thousand times. How did you not know which bag to pick up? But
0: instead, taking a breath, and I'm so like grateful like, that you came home with chips that we hate. I mean, how yes. did you do that? Like, God bless you. I don't know that I'd have that kind of. I would do it, but it would be so sa- drifting, dripping with such sarcasm. I'm just such an awful person that I'd end up, you know. He'd end up crawling back to the store and coming back <laughs> and then knee. me, I offer you this proper bag <laughs> of <laughs> chips and repentance. Exactly. Well, I'm certainly
1: not saying I could do it every time. That's for sure. I mean, we all have our moments, right? But, but it is one way of starting to then break down, you mentioned earlier, that it, is this kind of changing our expectations around the task? So it's breaking it down. It gives me the space to start to break down and recognize what is it that is really important to me. If it is really important to me that we have that kind of chip, because I know that everybody in-house the loves them and I want my kids to, to have the chip they want, like this is, a, this is an emotional thing, then I need to recognize that either I need to write down exactly what brand for that, my husband to get.
0: Take a picture or- of it. <laughs> yes.
1: Or, well, and I'll tell you by now, he definitely knows which way to get. We joke about it every time we go to Costco now, but, you know, or I need to be the one to do it. Right. But I need to recognize then that
0: I'm choosing to
1: do it. Yes. It's no, it's not fair for me then. No, it doesn't mean sometimes I still don't feel put upon, but it's really not fair for me to hold that against other people. If I'm the one
0: choosing to say this needs to be done my way. Okay, that, thank you, Jennifer. Now, uh, that is so important, that recognition of choice. Yes. And putting myself in the shoes of our Hopkins faculty who may be listening to this saying, okay, mental load, I get it. And the muttering, I get it. Why am I the only one who, and isn't it true that there are, because now I'm getting back to your societal pressures, that it's not only ourselves, it's not only at the micro level, and I totally get that, our expectations. If we're making a choice to do something a certain way, then all right, do it, own yeah. it, and then don't complain when somebody else that you're choosing to do it that way. But there is, isn't there, also then the institutional obligation to at least compromise or like mitigates some of the faculty's feelings of like, why am I the one who has to clean the operating room? Why am I the one who has to empty the garbage? Why am I the one that has to clean up the bloody bandages? Because there are some faculty who are like, why do I have to be the one on this project who does the IRB, gets the institutional okay. support letters, does all the things? Because that is reality for some faculty, probably a lot of faculty, okay. with r- shrinking resources. An administrative support, or lack of support—that that muttering is justified. Right. So, how do we re- how do we reconcile those, you know, tensions? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. That I think, if I had a
1: perfect answer for, I would be writing my own book about this. <laughs> but I think that the underlying answer has to lie in our ability. After we do this this self check, after we we check in with ourselves then to to figure out how we have conversations around this with the people in our environment whether that's our work environment our social environment our home environment whatever environment it is where we're tackling this and that's why ultimately i'm excited to be able to start talking about this in forums like this because we have to give it voice we have to bring it into the conversation and it's only by doing that that we can acknowledge that sometimes it's about more than just what has to get done on the do list. It's about the effort and that mental energy that goes in on the back end. And so if we can do that, and and again, my example is a little bit more personal, but if we can do that, then what happens is we also then model for the people around us, how Mm -hmm. they can start doing it. So one of the ways that I did this and again, I'm practicing this at home first is around laundry, right? So I kind of like the laundry down a certain way, but I also realized, okay, so it, I was muttering a lot about it. Maybe that's one of the things my daughter was yeah. modeling, <laughs> right? And so, all right, then let's have everyone else start doing. And so I started small, right? Um, well, you know, I heard that the dryer buzzed. Why don't you go get the clothes out? And for me, I like to get them out a certain way so they don't get wrinkly. What this has ultimately led to, I can skip forward to several steps, is now, all of a sudden, with relatively little effort, everyone in my house does their own laundry. And I do mine the way I want mine done. And no one else cares if theirs is done a little differently. And I don't have to do everybody's laundry. So it was like this revelation of kind of a win-win for me where I'm like, that actually worked. And I'm okay with it. Like my kids don't look horrible. They're not walking around in horribly filthy or wrinkly clothes. They look just fine. So I was like, wow, I was holding on to more there than I realized I was. And by just allowing myself to move just a little bit at a time, it took me to a place where everyone in the house responded. And now, and it was never a big deal. I didn't have to sit down and have a family meeting about it. We didn't have long drawn out conversations that
0: made everybody roll their eyes. We didn't, you know, it just happened. Well, I'm so sorry that you missed the eye rolling because that's like my favorite part of conversations that are difficult is the eye rolling. I'm so good <laughs> at the eye rolling. My mother would say, oh yes, your eyes are going to roll those eyes right out of your head. But yes. <laughs> Can you help? Can you fill in a couple of the steps in between? Uh, in addition to saying, oh, the buzzer just went off, sweetie. Why don't you go grab the clothes? What other things did you do to get empower people in your family to do that what are the things because I'm trying to then yeah. make a connection to at work what are some things we could do to get the family folding the towels in thirds like you're supposed to because otherwise they don't fit on the shelf <laughs> yes right
1: exactly <laughs> so there you go mental load because you're worrying about the shelf you're not yeah. even you're not even focused on them coming out of the dryer you're five steps ahead <laughs> uh, and, and I Story think that, of my life. That, right. Well, and and so, again, go in and, and read some of the of Emma Klitt's, um illustrations because she shows that she shows.
0: I, I, I Google that you should. Everybody You got to do this. You should have asked. Just Google. Yes. You should have asked. And it comes up and it's comes mental Mode by Emma, a feminist comic. It They are really awesome. I love the illustrations. Thanks they are for so coming. spot
1: on. And she has one series where it shows and my husband has called me out on this and he marvels at it. Because it's not how he thinks, but he's like, gosh, you're just like my mother. She does the same thing. I will have something in my hand and I'm going to go set it. I'm going to go take it somewhere in the house. And on the way, I get distracted and I end up doing 10 other chores along the way. Right. She illustrates that so beautifully. And that's mental load. As we're walking by whatever it is and we recognize it, we know if I don't take care of that now, It'll, you know, maybe it's, there's a dirty glass sitting on the counter. If I don't put that in, rinse it out now and put it in the dishwasher, it's going to dry and then it's going to have crust stuff on it and it's going to be hard to get it out. And then nobody's going to scrub it and they're going to stick it in the dishwasher and it's not going to get clean in the dishwasher because it's dried out now. And so now it's going to end up my problem anyway. So I'll just take care of it now. Right. But 15 steps later, you've done 15 different things. Whereas if I'd handed the thing to my husband to take in the other room, he would have just taken it to the other room. Right. So same thing can happen at work. And so you ask about those in between steps and it it is about empowering, but it's also about recognizing the emotional reaction of the people around you. So so in my example, what happened was if one of my kids was like, oh, my gosh, I need my laundry done because I have no pants, which happens in my house (laughs) frequently. you know, it, historically, would be like, oh, my gosh, this is my problem, right? Again, here, emotionally. Bad mom, bad mom. Yes, yes, all those thoughts, right? And I just realized it was recognizing they had an urgency. I was already doing something else. And so I think for me, here was one of the keys, is I didn't just say, well, then go take your laundry down and get it started. I stopped and said, you know what? Right now, I'm actually cooking dinner, and this is the dinner that everybody wanted tonight. We talked about it. So I'm in the middle of doing this. I can't step away from it if you want dinner served at the right time. So that means if you want your clothes done at the same time, why don't you do that part while I'm doing this part? And then everything can get done at the same time. And so I took that moment to put into words what I was already emotionally and mentally tackling. So that it wasn't like, I'm just telling you to do this. And I think that is
0: maybe the translation at work. Oh, right? okay, Jennifer. So you, yes, thank you. That it's a great example because I'm envisioning at work when our faculty members are running hundred miles an hour, getting pinged, t- closing epic encounters, trying to get that IRB submitted, got a paper, revise and resubmit. They got a trainee coming in. They got to, you know, do rounds committee work, bing, 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 all these things pop, pop, popping. And then the program coordinator, administrative assistant asks again, when did you want the thing? And you're like, just da, 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 And you want to just bark at them or like, just do it this date or like versus saying, have you said a couple of times now, noticing emotional connections, emotional reactions, what is my temperature right now? And that wow. kind of pause of a breath and go, Joe, tomorrow, because if it's not done tomorrow, remember we said this has to happen like it's a domino thing. Yep. You know, that kind of explaining the oh right. So that's kind of you're you're using that as a training, a teachable moment. Yeah. So it's not just like you're telling them what to do. So that they're you're training people to always ask you to like you tell me what to do. We train people how to treat us, right? So if you can yeah. equip and empower people to think about the why, in that moment, it's kind of a uh, how many times I have to tell you that this comes before that because then that can happen. If you take that moment, then maybe Joe's like, oh, that's right. I get it. Sorry, got it, got it. And then next time, yeah. maybe you won't get that. Yeah, thing. it's so mature. <laughs> where I just would rather be like, are you kidding me? Joe, Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. And and it's certainly, it's like everything, you know, this is just one component of so many things. And I in an ideal world, you have a team around you where everybody's good at slightly different things and you can divvy up aspects of tasks and people can be doing the things that they're absolutely the best at. And And as you have these conversations, people can kind of recognize and pull some of that load onto themselves. So it's not all on you. Is that always going to happen? Not necessarily. I mean, we all know sometimes you get teams with somebody that just isn't a good fit, or maybe they're just not good at the things that you need them to be good at. And maybe you have limited capacity to fix that. But if we, again, can start recognizing our own mental load in the process and acknowledge put words to that i always i always tell people in any of the various talks and stuff that i do and even even in in my i do a lot of coaching uh athletic coaching when I'm, I'm a hockey coach so like even when i talk to my girls like putting words to things get take either gives them power or takes their power away because oftentimes so much, and that's that CBT, cognitive behavioral side of it, right? So oftentimes we have so many thoughts going on in our head that we don't take the time to acknowledge and put into words. And once we put them into words, we may realize they're stupid, or we may realize, am I thinking that? Or we may realize giving that to somebody else can give them power, right? They now understand what's going on in our head, and we don't generally take the time to do that. And we maybe you can't always if you're in the middle of being really rushed, you may not be able to take the time to have some of those conversations. But, but I do think if you can start to model this even just in short moments, mm-hmm. then it does. It's it's something people learn and and I think they'll adapt quickly.
0: Oh, I love the I love the campaign, the I Will campaign at Wisconsin. You always do so many great things there, innovative, very new. I love the the gender equity pledges and this is an example of creating a culture where this just becomes normative. You know, you're normalizing this way of thinking, this way of being with each other, noticing, being grateful for, I mean, I, I, of course, ideally, wouldn't that be the ideal me to be like, Oh, Joe, I'm so grateful for you with a thought bubble (laughs) saying, and I so want to strangle you, but (laughs) but if if we can present To ourselves and understand our own mental load and how we choose sometimes to to insist on certain ways of being and doing. And if we can really kind of understand that, then I think it's easier for us to then appreciate mental load on other people and what's important to them and what they choose to do. And then if we have that kind of gratitude and awareness of each other and an overall Kind of faith and trust that we're trying. Then, in those moments when I do kind of flip out, sort of on Joe, he's like, Oh, Ah. um, I can see that you're mentally overloaded. So I won't take that personally. (laughs) We'll talk about that later. Ah. Here's a little toilet paper. But that forgiveness, that little bit of grace that we can give to each other, I think is more natural and comfortable if we set the climate or the foundation of this is a thing. Mental yeah. load is a thing. This is what yeah. it looks like. This is how it arrives for me. Yeah. How does it arrive for you? Let's help each other. We're not going to be perfect. It's There are going to be bad days, tough days. But in general, let's let's come back to center on this. I mean, yeah. that whole tone sounds just so beautiful. And it,
1: and it works. I did. I had a, an issue that arose at work. And I was certainly not responding well. I had a moment when I was irritated and the person working for me, I could tell was taken aback. Right. And so that could have gone in a lot of directions. I could have just left it. I and mean, been like, whatever, like they'll figure it out and there'll be another day. Right. And, and not knows, my problem. Yeah. Right. And who knows what that would have done to our, cause we work as a team regularly. How would that have impacted our team dynamics long-term? And instead in that moment, I stopped and I, I just pulled them aside and I explained, I said, I am not, I started by saying, I'm not irritated at you. I am irritated. Absolutely. But I have these multiple things. And in that instance, it's some, I had multiple things that had been influenced by this event. And I explained where my mental load was and why it was so <laughs> enraging for me at that moment. That person probably didn't care about what I was going through personally, but just giving them that insight, I visibly saw their shoulders relax, their face relaxed. I didn't even realize, I think, how tense they were because of my reaction until I acknowledged that with them. And I will say, I feel our team is stronger going forward, right? And so in that illustration, it was, me just acknowledging it and modeling that I can share that. I don't expect you to fix it. I just need you to know I'm not projecting this on you on purpose. This is what's going on. Um, and, and hopefully that's had a positive influence on the team over time. Right. I, who knows? We'll see. <laughs> Maybe well, I can come now, back
0: in a year and let you know. <laughs> I can't imagine that that would not impact the team. That honesty. And it reminds me, we did a Dean's retreat here recently at Hopkins and uh, and I kept, excuse me, thinking about the definition of trust. Trust wow. is believing in the honesty of another. But we we can have trust when we have faith, faith in the honesty of another person. Mm. So that you are definitely through that opportunity and that exchange demonstrating you can trust me that i am being honest with you that i am admitting my my how what i own in this and by you admitting that it's also role modeling that it's a safe place i'm not perfect i'm not always going to be perfect but i'm trying and also i think as a leader setting an expectation for others yes it's not like it's not excusing bad behavior or right. someone if someone's like shirking their duties or responsibilities that that to me is kind of where that's got to be a balance of like I can do all the work on myself I can and try to be the best person I can. But if I'm in a relationship or if I'm in a house with kids, who when I say Oh, the the dryer bell just went off," someone want to go get the laundry, and they're like, "No." I mean, right. that's a whole different scenario. That's a whole different conversation. <laughs> that's a different conversation. But I think what I like about that is, again, as leaders, this is not easy stuff. This is not. Yeah. I mean, this is something we have to practice with intentionality and it's, it is frustrating, but everything around leadership is this relationships and building relationships. And to me, the primary relationship is ourselves, yeah. starting with ourselves and being honest and showing that I'm doing that work to my teammates and, yeah. and inviting them on that journey. I th- I just really applaud you, Wisconsin, for all you're doing, Jennifer. It's, it's just Really, super cool stuff.
1: It, I think again, it it gives us the space to put words to these things and opens up the door for the conversations. And and conversations don't mean you have to share an, an uncomfortable level of emotional content. That's that's not appropriate either. But it's the importance is the conversations and and having the language. And hopefully, uh, like I said, maybe I can follow up with you in a
0: year and let you know how this has moved the needle on our culture a little bit. Dr. Jennifer Apps folks isn't she wonderful I told you you'd love mental load conversation with Dr. Jennifer Apps and you're going to want to check out her episode number 208 just go to facultyfactory.org facultyfactory.org you'll see on the podcast search Jennifer Apps and you'll find her there the assistant provost of faculty affairs at Medical College of Wisconsin a professor in psychiatry and behavioral medicine. Jennifer, it's always wonderful. Thank you for sharing your personal story and for how your journey on mental load with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions.